Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Ben. Thanks, Drew. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Ben and I will sample beer from Lincoln, Nebraska's Corn Coast Brewing Company, react to the Michigan game, and preview Big Red's matchup against Wisconsin. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, it's been a week since we were officially Heard at Sports' newest podcast. How's it feeling? It's great. They haven't let us go yet. So. Yeah, hey, <laughs> we're still hanging around. Uh, I thought we could start the episode and just say thank you to Heard at. Thank you to all of our listeners who've been listening to us from day one. And then also welcome anyone who is new to the show, new listeners who are giving us a chance because we uh, we have that little Heard at stamp <laughs> in the top corner of our podcast logo. logo. So, welcome to everyone. Thank you to those listeners who are uh, hanging around and, and for those who are new to the show. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It's all about talking football over beer here. And so uh, sometimes talking beer merrier. over football. That's true. Sometimes <laughs> we're in a situation where I wish the beer talk could go on for an hour and right. the football talk. It's mostly just talking ourselves off of a ledge <laughs> when it comes to football. But, you know, it is the third eye blind of football talk and beer talk. I just wish you would step back <laughs> from that ledge, my friend. Cut ties before the lines that you've been living in. If you do not want, okay, we'll stop so that (laughs) we don't have to worry about getting that cleared. You know, the first thing I think that comes on the docket for basically any Husker podcast that's talking about damn near anything this this time of the season is the head coaching search and and what's going on there. And Drew, I got to be honest, I think we are in a situation where it's an any minute now. I think a new head coach could be announced at any moment. How do you, how do you, feel about that as well yeah I think if it if the guy's not coaching right now and they're able to make that announcement I think they certainly can because at this point your your bowl eligibility is off the table um you're obviously looking ahead to next year um Mickey and and the rest of the coaching staff can focus on the next couple games along with the players but um there's no point in dragging it out unless you have to wait yeah and and I don't I haven't really bought into any of the rumors nothing feels substantiated nothing feels like hey this source is building on this source and is building on this one. It feels like everyone who has a source is just throwing their name in the hat, whether it's Deion Sanders, which would be insane, or if it's, you know, the Matt Rule, the Matt Campbell, mm-hmm. the, you know, you name it. Is there anyone that's, that's like been thrown out where you're like, that to me is really interesting. Like that's a, 
I think Dion is interesting. <laughs> it's definitely interesting because yeah. that's a huge, I mean, that's such a big name. Um, and I think that would be like of all the coaches, that would be the one that I think would be maybe the most, most polarizing in terms of like the excitement, but also the like terror of like, like we're getting a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, we have a guy who, who can recruit to Jackson State. Like, he can definitely recruit to Nebraska. And, yeah. like, him and Mickey paired together um, and bringing in, like, say, an experienced staff along with them could be really interesting. I would even throw Bill Bush as a recruiter in there as well when you yeah. think about what those three guys could do from a recruiting aspect. I know Mickey has been in his press conferences saying, you know, we got to recruit better, we got to recruit better. And, like, if Mickey was leading the program and he had to go out and find a head coach, you know, maybe over himself – you think Dion might be the guy that he'd look at and go, he knows how to recruit. Right. Him and me together, you know, we'd be unstoppable. Yeah. And as the Sports Illustrated article said, you know, like, we don't want to wake this fucking thing up because <laughs> when it does, it's, you know, it's all over. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, man, when it comes to recruiting, like, we and we just talked about this a little bit before we started here today. Like, Nebraska does not have an issue with recruiting. Right, like we have an issue with development, and that's yeah. that's been the case. Like even Mike Riley had success recruiting and had the whole fucking calib. Sorry, mom. Had sorry, the whole, Kathy. Sorry, Kathy. Had the whole um, Calabrasca thing going and and all that. So like, Nebraska's never had, at least relative to like it, the Big Ten West peers, Nebraska's always been a, a step ahead. Yeah. And so, and and I know after uh, the Michigan game, Mickey was asked, you know, what's what's the one thing that you need to get to turn this thing around he said recruiting and my initial like my knee-jerk reaction was like no that's not that's not the problem it's development like if I was going to use one word um but at the same time I don't I think Mickey's smart like he obviously has his, his finger on the program like he's got a good pulse on it um I think it's possible that like as much as development is lacking recruiting the right guys to the program who like the right guys to develop maybe is the issue it's I don't think Scott Frost ever had a real great plan. I don't think Riley had a, I think Riley just was going after stars um, in areas of the country he knew. I think Scott Frost, I don't know what the, yeah. I don't know what you he know, was doing. Had he landed Micah Parsons, but. he would have been so off base. <laughs> that would, He was just going after stars. He he didn't care who, and you know, he just happened to bring in like one of the greatest college football players in the past 10 years. Right, yeah. Who then transitioned <laughs> going into the NFL and just into the NFL. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't believe we ever even got him on campus. Was that the best thing that <laughs> happened in the Mike Riley era? Like, or was it second behind uh, the Michigan, Michigan State, State win? Yeah, yeah. The, so the it's like Brandon Michigan Riley State, catch. Michigan State win, bringing in Micah Parsons, and <laughs> then Friday beating Oregon. Lights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like those are the three highlights. <laughs> and then four was the whole team went to Kendrick Lamar. The, like, yeah, that the was concert. The <laughs> yeah, which the fans didn't even get to enjoy. It was a player experience that was well, good for them. Yeah, they deserved it. Right. And they got ice cream cones afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. With lots and lots of sprinkles. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off completely. But <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I agree with you 100%. And, and I think part of the reason that we've been recruiting guys that maybe haven't been the right guys is I don't think Nebraska ever had an identity under Scott Frost. They were always trying to play against the defense that was coming in. And I think part of that comes from having a, a head coach who thought of himself as the smartest offensive coordinator in the room. And so he's trying to out scheme the other team instead of buying into what they want to be and just building towards that and making the defense respond. It felt like week after week you were seeing this new offense. You're like, what new wrinkles are we going to see? But you never really felt an identity until that identity became Adrian Martinez has to scramble for his life. And if he's doing that well, we got a shot at winning. If he's not doing that well, we've got a shot of him breaking his jaw and then our team just you know succumbing to the worst 
possible fate. Yeah. Um, so it, it's one of those things where I, th- I think you're absolutely right. You get the right guys in, but you also have to know who you are before you do that. And you're seeing a Nebraska team who right now with an interim head coach who's having a hard time, again, finding that identity on the offensive side of the ball. You've got injuries to work with as well. And so the, de- the development just takes like the backseat to let's just figure out a game plan and try and execute that the best we can with the guys we've got. And so I'm sure that's why it looks like recruiting is the issue. But yeah, I think it goes even deeper to that to develop to an identity. You're seeing teams in the Big Ten West, like your Illinois, um, your Michigan in the Big Ten East, who have found that identity. Penn State's another good example where they know who they are. They develop to that. Iowa, hate to say it, you know, uh, Wisconsin, all those schools that are having success year over year, Michigan, even. Um, I think you all, said them twice, or, but sorry, they probably I mean, deserve I mean, it. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I said them twice. I'll say them 32 more times, <laughs> and that should cover the Michigan said on this episode spread. But uh, when it comes to uh, Minnesota was the other team I was going to say. Like, oh, they've yeah. all recruited and developed to an identity, and they've found success within their program in doing so yeah even purdue we could throw in there and northwestern under pat fitzgerald like all every everybody in the big 10 but nebraska and they have a leg up because they've been around longer but still if before this season started and i said northwestern in an even year was going to have less success than nebraska i would have been like so we're winning the west baby because (laughs) nebraska with pat fitzgerald on an even year man they're usually nine ten wins they're making a bid for the west Turns out they're just. Gonna... <laughs> how, how do you best a one-win team? You win three games. Oh man, I think. Uh, do you think Northwestern's had a harder time after that after beating us, or do you think Nebraska's had a worse time? Northwestern hasn't won a single game, but like I feel like their program is still intact. Like they, I don't know if they have a lot of questions moving forward, other than like. Well, yeah. I how think much will we? How high will we bounce back? I, you know, I hear no panic. From like the Northwestern camp, they're just like, hey, we're sticking to it. We know we got to keep developing our guys. We're still figuring out who we are with a new defensive off uh, defensive identity. You know, we're building after losing Mike Hurwitz um, to retirement. So it's like this continuation. And you just see these guys who are all pulling in the same direction. There's no panic, even if that's what this year looks like, because they know that they're going to continue to develop to their identity. Yeah. I mean it's it's the thesis that just repeats itself but it's just what it feels like we're missing and we saw it to uh on saturday against michigan when a team knows who they are it, they're hard to beat yeah it, it feels like um nebraska ha- nebraska adjusts to their opponent before the game even starts yeah um and that is that lack of identity like when it when it came to purdue it was well you know we're just gonna we're just gonna air it out we're gonna try to get into the shootout with them we're not gonna try to um you know make them adjust to us we're gonna adjust to them and they did that and it, it failed um with michigan they they were like we're gonna adjust we're gonna try to do probably what the smart thing is to do which is slow down the pace on offense play a little keep away try to hold their run game from you know breaking that dam um and again like it wasn't enough but it was another instance of a game where like yeah, Nebraska came in and looked different. Like just looked different. Yeah, they looked like they were trying to match their opponent. Yeah, um, from the very start, and it's just I don't know. Doing that week in and week out obviously is not a recipe for for success. Well, 
You know what is a recipe for success? What? Whatever is in this beer that we are drinking. <laughs> yes. How is that for a segue? Hey, that was nice. Yeah. That was great. So again, for those of you who are new to our podcast, we appreciate you joining us. What we like to do in each episode is we start off with a little what we call bullshit back and forth, and then we move into talking about a local craft brewery in the state of Nebraska. And this week, we are very fortunate to be talking about Corn Coast Brewing Company out of Lincoln. This is my first sampling of Corn Coast. Same. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so far, so great. I am very impressed with what we have in front of us. Uh, I've got a little profile on how they came to be, and then we can talk about this beer that we've got in front of us. Excellent. So, Will Walter and Dan Walkemeyer met while attending the University of Nebraska-Lincoln while participating in the Naval ROTC program. They not only bonded over their shared experiences and plans for joining the military, but also over their love of craft beer and homebrewing. After graduating in 2010, Will enlisted in the Marines and headed for the West Coast. Dan joined the Navy and served along the Gulf Coast and eventually the East Coast. While serving, Will's homebrewing hobby became his main departure from work. His brewing setup took over both his garage and spare bedroom. He continued to evolve and develop recipes uh, and cites the book, quote, Designing Great Beers by Ray Daniels as one of his biggest influences. Have you read that book before? Have you heard of that book? I've heard of it, yeah. yeah? Well, maybe you need to ask for it for Christmas. <laughs> While on leave during holidays, Dan and Will would meet back up in Lincoln, or as they referred to it, the Corn Coast. Any chance the pair were able to get together, they were getting together to brew. In 2017, Will's military career came to a close. The pair began to discuss opening a brewery of their own. Their focus was going to be on a taproom experience with a low priority on distribution and a high priority on session ales designed to bring folks together. Dan's active duty concluded in 2020, and the guy set their sights on opening in 2021. Rather than purchasing more equipment than their production could handle, Will and Dan focused on a five-barrel system, which allowed them to brew more frequently and continue to tweak their recipes to their taste. I think their website does an excellent job summing up their brewing philosophy. So, quote, We brew on a small five-barrel brewing system, which lets us brew more often as we pursue that perfect pint of beer. As a craftsman of fine furniture, we will be constantly refining and tinkering with every detail until we feel we cannot make beer any better. Our passion for brewing is entrenched in the technical nerdery of brewing science as much as it is, as it is rooted in the nuance of recipe development. It's the simplest of beers that give us the most excitement to brew because they require a high degree of precision and attention to detail. Finally, on July 31st, 2021, Corn Coast Brewing opened their doors to the masses. They've been a hit in the Lincoln community ever since. And Drew, you were able to visit to pick up this beer. What can you tell us about the tap room and the overall vibe when you walked into Corn Coast? Yeah, I was. Um, well, first, I want to uh, happy belated Veterans Day to Dan Oh, and Will. yes, absolutely. You know, we're a couple of days past that. but um, Thank you to both yeah, of them thanks, for their service. Yeah, thank you guys for your service. I know um, Sam also at Cosmic Eyes. That's another veteran-owned yeah. brewery here in the state. So. Just wanted to say that. Um, very appreciative of the service and also appreciative of this beer um, yeah. that you brought. I yeah, they Corn Coast. Um, they were packed, man. It was a Friday night when we went there. They had a like a uh, what was it? Golden Goat Pizza food truck outside. Nice. Um, but yeah, just hopping and bopping, man. Um, it's a it's a family friendly, dog friendly brewery, um, and obviously they have a great selection. I love that they go for. Um, the session ales for the classic styles for the just trying to perfect quality uh, classics. I think a lot of our favorite beers that we've had on this show are from breweries who strive for that classical style. They're not trying to add a bunch of adjuncts to their beer. When they do, it's in service of the flavor, not in service of some sort of 
surprise or wording or you know like specialty beer it's mm -hmm. we think that this flavor pairs well with this style of beer and they make something really special about it out of it um you mentioned sam at cosmic eye they're big on that divots is big on that uh i think big hair does a great job of focusing on those styles uh jukes is another one where it's like man they just they focus on making a great beer with, along the lines of that style and they just knock it out of the park yeah yeah absolutely and this this uh true classic man um, this is great. It's brewed with 100% Cascade hops, so it's got that like Northwest hop profile to it, which is very that that piney sort of profile. Yeah. Um, on the nose, it's very malty, but like pleasantly malty, not overwhelming. Just incredible balance. Yeah. Um, uh, with perfectly this, named with this, yeah, with this American Pale Ale, I'm getting like you said, the malt on the nose. To me, malt lends a little bit of like a citrus sweetness. Um, on the on the nose on the palate though it's it's not like a breadiness either it's like a really subtle sweetness and then you mentioned the pininess I learned the word resinous because I was saying yeah. dank way too often and that's the wrong descriptor it's not skunky it is that piney note where it's like tree sappy it's it's a nice walk in the forest man this is a crushable American pale ale which is already like we're biased towards when there's a pale ale yeah having brewed our own with divots no no big deal there but this beer is just fantastic, and and I've heard from a lot of different people, and a lot and that intro, that profile I read came from uh, Joe Java Stout. A lot of that information, and then a lot of that information came from their website. But I've talked to Joe Java Stout, talked to uh, Mike Meyer about them. Uh, I've talked to a friend Bill, who's a friend of this podcast, um, and they all just rave about what these guys have done in a very short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think probably what's what's helping them, aside from just like. Uh, you know, churning out recipe after recipe and really getting to experiment. I think what you see a lot of the times with new brewers um, scaling up on bigger equipments is it takes them a while to find their footing, but these guys didn't necessarily make that huge leap. Yeah. Um, they're, they're going through that incremental growth, a very methodical pace um, to what they're doing. And I think that's just allowing them to, again, gain a lot of experience, but also just their recipes probably just translate a lot better on the equipment. Yeah. Um, and then they're obviously, they're busy, so they're getting a ton of feedback. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that instant feedback loop that's so important to learning and growth. Um, I'm blown away, man. Like, uh, you know, I, it took us a little over a year to get around to to checking these guys out, and I kind of regret that already off of this yeah, one this is, year. Yeah, this is one of those where it's like I, I'm looking forward to my next chance to sample and yeah. go down to that, that, that uh, tap house and, and take advantage of a, a tour of that menu and, and go from there. Yeah. And they do, we, so I picked up, um, a couple of crawlers and they've got a, a nice little cooler there. If you do want to just pop in and do the grab and go, um, they'll, they'll crawl them for you, whatever they have on their menu. Um, I assume for the most part, unless they have some limited stuff, but, um, and then they have a really nice selection. They break down the menu for you. They've got the malty, the fruity, the hoppy, um, all their different styles. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing this beer, uh, for us today to try and, uh, again, I, I'm so happy that you mentioned Happy Veterans Day to those guys. There's a lot of folks in the craft beer industry that are former veterans, and they found a real nice niche in, in providing craft beer. And they there's that meticulousness and that attention to detail that you need in brewing that I think is instilled through the military as well. Yeah, It's almost a recipe for success to join those two things together. So thank you to all of our veterans. Thank you to Will and Dan, um, who, who brew this beer, who serve our country. Uh, and who who serve Lincoln with this incredible, incredible beer. Uh, we'll try another one of their beers a little bit later on in the show before we start talking about uh, the Huskers matchup against Wisconsin. But before we get to Wisconsin, we got to talk about Nebraska and Minnesota. Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got those two you know. <laughs> little screwed up right now. Nebraska and Michigan. 
any new listeners are like, man, that guy makes a lot of fucking mistakes. <laughs> this is an unedited. You're getting the clean cut. You are. You are. Yeah, so yeah. Nebraska drops another one with a score of 34 to 30, somehow covering a spread by 0.5 points. Way to go, Jim Harbaugh. On a late field on goal. A li- on a one mm. minute, 21 seconds left mm. on that field goal. I mean, what are the initial thoughts? What jump out at you about this game? Before we dive into the the X's and O's of offense and defense and things like that, what were some of the big takeaways that you felt? I know before you recorded, you said like, man, this was kind of a frustrating one to watch. This was, use the word embarrassing. It was, yeah, embarrassing. Like, not because I didn't have, I had no expectations for this game. Like, or if I did, it was, I expected us to lose the way we lost. Um, And that's just the you know, not having the coaching situation settled, not having your quarterback ready to go. They talked about Logan being beat up for the past couple of weeks, um, which might explain a lot of the whole quarterback um, confusion. You know, I know yeah, we, yeah. it made me feel kind of bad for uh, for railing on Whipple so much about the quarterback decision. I still think he probably would have gone with Purdy, but I think they were also probably trying to protect Logan by not revealing that he was injured because they knew that he would be playing. You don't yeah. want You don't want to put guys out there and have other teams teeing off on them. Sure. I'm um, looking to make it worse. So, um, anyway, uh, I, man, I don't know. It was just, I would have liked to have seen, um, more out of the offense for sure. Yeah. And, and that's definitely frustrating. And I was thinking that maybe one of us or both of us would come away from this game feeling that way. And, and so, you know, me, I tried to take as, as best perspective as I could on the situation. And I just ran down this list that right now we're playing with an interim head coach We're playing with an interim defensive coordinator, which also means that we're playing with an interim receivers coach, and we're playing with an interim special teams coordinator, and our offensive coordinator got injured on the sidelines. So we're in our second half, we're playing without our offensive coordinator. That's five out of a staff of 11 that are are guys that didn't get the run-up of the postseason, that didn't get to prepare the way that all these other teams got to prepare. And I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm saying that as a, I'm proud of these players for continuing to fight and prepare and give it their all week after week knowing that the situation they're they're in already has them even bigger dogs than 30 and a half points. Yeah. And so I'm I'm proud of this team for continuing to fight. Yes, it's it's tough to see a product on the field when you're thinking, man, Michigan kind of started their rebuild around the same time Nebraska could have been starting their rebuild and had we found the right guy instead of maybe Mike Riley or um, had Bo been given a little bit more support or had he not been the guy that he was in the media to where he had to be removed as head coach or if Scott Frost was more bought in in the ways uh, against what we heard in the news and that sort of stuff, you know, not to confer with any rumors or anything like that, but mm-hmm. you're seeing Michigan who's built themselves year after year and focused on their identity and continued to build. And there's just no way you can go up against that when the team's had an eight year head start. Yeah. Well, and it's not, yeah, this isn't like a, an embarrassment because of this week. It's, it's, a, it's the, um, the amalgamation, like all of it coming together sure. and just seeing that massive gap. Um, between us and Michigan, and again, like you said, you know, having having started off at a, at a somewhat similar point, and just watching these two programs completely diverge, yeah, um, and end up in this situation is tough. And yeah, there's there's a lot of I don't know bad circumstances surrounding the team, and as far as like injuries and stuff go, in game injuries, like who, who expects to lose your offensive coordinator on a kickoff? Like, right? Um, is that not and, just like? the most batshit sorry Kathy insane thing <laughs> that happens during the game like it was how? yeah it was weird he did end up coming back and calling plays in the second half oh okay but he was doing it from upstairs he was up in the booth well that's good and so he didn't have um like Logan said he didn't have direct communication with with Whipple Whipple would call down the play 
to a coach who would relay it to the players. And so, and that's another element that, that players and, and coaches aren't counting on. You you work in practice how you're going to do the game. Suddenly the circumstances circumstances change in game. Um, that is a lot to deal with. So yeah, I'm not I'm not like embarrassed of our players or embarrassed sure, of our sure, team. Sure. I'm just it's just maybe embarrassed wasn't the right word, but yeah, man, it's still like it's frustrating. It's frustrating to be to be checked out of a game from the get go as a fan. Um, I think it's I you know I hope I didn't make my point to come off as like I'm slapping you on the wrist for being embarrassed. I don't think that that's no, unfound. I, I think that when pride is on the line, mm-hmm. it's embarrassed is the right response when yeah. like it doesn't turn out your way. Like I'm embarrassed of the investment I'm making, but at the same time, it's like. I almost feel like at fault for the amount that I'm putting on this team still knowing the uphill climb that they have against them. From oh the yeah. Outset. Like yeah. that to me is, is the part where I like, I got to check myself cause I kind of feel bad at times where I'm like, why am I so invested <laughs> when I know that this is so, and then i look at fans, the opposing fans on the, on the sideline and I'm like yelling at the TV. Don't you know what we're going through? <laughs> <laughs> like I see those guys and I'm like, they clearly just bet the spread. So like, that's why they're so invested. You're but right. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like you see guys out there like your Garrett Nelsons, your Herzogs, your uh, Hausmans, your uh, Rhymers, your uh, Ramir Johnson going out and giving good minutes, Logan Smothers giving his best, Colton Feast out there making tech. Like you start to see all these guys who are still giving 100% when, again, there's every reason for them not to. They could easily and no one would blame them for what they've gone through. And like that's where that pride comes back up. And it's mm-hmm. like where where – I might be embarrassed about the result. The other side of me is like, no, but wait, these guys are still fighting. And to me, that that's a sign of dudes I want to go to war with. That's a sign of the guys that like bring back that pride, even in a loss. Yeah. One of the, one of the guys, if, since we're talking about individuals, one guy yeah. I do want to mention is Chubba Purdy. Um, because this kid has been crapped on pretty badly by the fan base. Um, over the past couple of weeks, like he's struggled in games. He's not made throws. He's still technically a freshman. Like he's a redshirt freshman. He yeah. doesn't have a ton of experience. He came into this. He came into the season in the competition, but was a clear cut backup quarterback. So he kind of got thrown into the mix against top tier defenses in the nation. Like yeah. he's not. He didn't get tune up games against you know in North Dakota. Like he's getting thrown into this into a into a mess again a mess with these coaches um and so to for him to continue to show up and he's showing up in practice and apparently like doing really well in practice he's like the tanner lee of this team right (laughs) like he is a great practice quarterback who just for whatever reason once he gets to games he struggles but against michigan he was showing some signs of life yes he was moving the ball with his legs yes um again not all the best throws but he didn't make disastrous decisions um, needs to work on his slide technique, obviously, but uh, not used to running. Um, you know, I don't know. I, f- I felt for the guy. I feel bad that he got hurt anyway, but, like, on top of the fact that he he's continuing to, like, put in the work and showing up yeah, and throwing himself out there against these teams, um, despite knowing that most of the fan base is calling for him to sit on the bench. Yeah. Um, you know, kudos to that kid for, for that. Another individual when you're, you know, talking about Purdy um, that I'd like to bring up is Washington. I mean, he's started yeah. to emerge as that really that lead receiver because Palmer's had his struggles the past few games, you know, for whatever reason that happens to be. I think some of the situations they're putting Palmer in trying to run screens and things like that aren't his forte. And and I, and, and mm. Washington is kind of starting to 
fill in uh, as that deep threat. And that yes. first pass where they connected was a really nice throw, really good timing right over the shoulder. It was one of those where you're like, okay, I think that we can maybe get into a rhythm here if this offensive line can can hold and give a little bit of time to let these routes develop and, and go from there. So uh, Washington's emerged not just in this game, but you know, as of as of late, as a really nice option. His hands have shored up. He was a little little sketchy earlier in the season, as I think he was finding his footing in the Big Ten, and now he's he's really a nice receiver to watch for, and definitely a threat that could pair well with with Palmer. Yeah, and it and it speaks to his ability because he's doing it with the backup quarterbacks, and he had that history with Casey. Yeah, and so you would think that all of his success would come directly from Casey, um, and it hasn't. He's continued to improve. I think the thing with Palmer is they they're just trying to give him the ball any way they can, which makes sense. You give your ball to your playmakers and let them go to work. Um, unfortunately, he hasn't been able to do that. They're not getting good numbers for him as, in terms of like blockers and guys. You know, hat on hat when he gets the ball. Um, he does have a couple drops. I also think with Michigan, one of the things um, that that I noted before this game was they've got really fast corners. Like yes. they've got insane speed at, at, on the corner, and like Trey Palmer is not going to just blow by by these guys. Like, right. Um, and I and I'm assuming that Nebraska saw that too. Um, and so they were probably game planning to just get, just get him the ball, try to create some space, and see what he can do, rather than just trying to like you know, yeah. send him flying down the field. Absolutely. Um, I I mean, if we're talking Nebraska's offense on on Michigan's defense at this point, I mean, they were as advertised. That Michigan defense yeah. was just suffocating as a defensive line. They weren't having to send anyone extra to to get home and to really collapse that pocket around uh, Logan and around Chuba. Um, I thought that both quarterbacks actually did a nice job for Nebraska where in the past few games those backups had been stepping back further and further in the pocket, they were starting to climb the ladder and get closer and closer. But that Michigan defense was just pinching that, man. It was like in in the the Maze Runner movies where like just the maze is collapsing or in Star Wars when they're in the trash compactor. It just felt like the walls (laughs) were closing in. So even as they were trying to step up and keep their eyes downfield, the only viable option was to take off. And Chubba did a great job of just making that decision and going. Mm -hmm. Um, There were a couple of big plays, big drives that were extended. And I thought early on this offense was doing okay of not scoring points by any means, but by trying to keep drives alive, like taking what the defense is giving you and moving the ball. And, uh, you know, you're trying to move the ball downfield through the air, but at the same time, Chubba was doing a great job just extending drives with his legs, getting first downs, and unfortunately it ultimately led to his injury having to do that. But I thought for a while in that first half, Nebraska's offense was keeping Michigan's defense on the field and, and making them have to work. And I thought that that game plan was – was there they were yeah. gonna try and establish a run game whether that was with the quarterback or with with Grant or Gabe Urban came in Ramir Johnson uh you name it yeah yeah they were definitely you could tell what they were trying to establish and yeah I mean obviously it didn't work out but at least they gave it a go that was one thing that like you know a lot of the talk leading up to it was Mickey Joseph saying we need to run the ball more and, and slow things down and so for him to say something and then for it to come to fruition at least in the atten- intention was I think a uh, positive. Yeah, you know, there's there's something to be said, and and there's a sense of pride again uh, to bring that word up of um sticking with a, an identity win or lose, right? We we are there's no way we're going to win this game throwing the ball. This defensive line is too quick against our offensive line, and these this secondary is just too suffocating. So we're going to run the ball. Whether we win or lose, that's how we are going to establish ourselves in this game. And and you saw a lot of that until it became, 
you know, 24 to three until it became a panic mode and, and just chaos have to and, yeah, yeah, everything and else going on. I one, think. one of my big frustrations when it comes to the Purdy versus Smothers debate is it feels like Purdy is being put in these situations. And, and again, not having known until now that Logan was a bit beat up the past few weeks, but it feels like Purdy almost has the full breadth of the offense, right? He can run yeah. the ball. He can pass the ball. We're at the start of the game at zero, zero. So we get to choose how we want to attack. But Logan, who is a threat with his legs and then can throw the ball, tends to come in a lot when we're in passing situations. And so he's not able to use himself as a weapon where he excels. And, and that, to me, is frustrating. It's like I would almost rather see see if we can establish the quarterback run, the option read, all, all of that kind of ground game uh, that leverages against maybe a, a more poor offensive line and instead you're just trying to move the line instead of having them do some some simple pass protection see if that helps you build that momentum or at least get a lead to where you can then start playing from there. Uh, that, that's where a lot of my frustration comes from about, you know, Purdy starting these games is I'd rather see Purdy come in who is the known passer later in the game when we have to do that, but then can use his legs when need be versus bringing Smothers in in those situations where that's not where he fully excels. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, actually. That's interesting. It, it's like it's like abusing your bullpen or like misusing your bullpen in yeah, baseball. Yeah, that's, that's 100% like how I view it. Like bringing a closer in in the fifth. And, yeah. And yeah. So, that yeah, I don't know. That's, that is a good point. Um, <laughs> I got, I mean, I got, yeah, <laughs> chalk one up. Absolutely. Um, I've got one more, one more thing. I want to, when you, when you want to talk about, Teams that are that stick to their identity like come hell or high water. I think Iowa is the ultimate example of that. They are. And they're and fucking sorry, this, Kathy. Six and four right now at the top of the Big Ten West. They put themselves, yeah, in a position they could they, <laughs> they still have a realistic shot at the West. Um, but this th- these numbers blew my mind when I came across them. Um so Nebraska had 146 yards total offense against Michigan, right? They, they secured eight first downs, and they lost by 31 points, That which is what you would expect sure. with those numbers. Iowa against Wisconsin had 146 yards. They had 11 first downs, and they won by two touchdowns. That's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It boggles my mind. And, and you, you, when you... When you just see the numbers on the surface, it doesn't make sense. But like when you know like how the game's played out, it totally does. Because Iowa was a block punt, they, and a pick block six. punt, pick six, huge punt returns. So like all of their points either came on, I mean, it came directly from turnovers or from incredibly short fields. Like their yeah. offense didn't have to do a thing, right? To 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 get them any points. Um, they're just so opportunistic, and they're so goddamn good at defense and special teams. That and Wisconsin kept shooting themselves in the foot because they're they're like Iowa, but worse. Like they're like a, a good enough defense that played, I thought, a really great game. Yeah. Um, but they made all the mistakes where Iowa just is so buttoned up. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, I just yeah, just the fact that we had this the exact same number of dumb yards just a dumb number of 146 and they won by two scores do you, do you think brian ference picks up the stat sheet for nebraska michigan and he sees nebraska at 146 yards and he goes oh my god they beat michigan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> eight first downs oh my gosh oh man it just it pains me this league just kills me Isn't sometimes it, <laughs> doesn't it just feel like you're in the upside down from stranger things where it's like nothing <laughs> makes sense 
there's yeah. overgrowth and vines on everything. And you're just like, what even is this place? It's awful. It's awful sometimes. My my last thing that I have for offense is when Alante Brown leaped over that <laughs> defender and then got turned ass over tea kettle. <laughs> how is that not some form of targeting? Penalty targeting it was head to head contact. <laughs> <laughs> not helmet to helmet yeah, though. That's true. No, I, I mean I know it's not a penalty. My question is, how is that not a penalty? Like, how? I I know there's no rule about that. Yeah. In everything they've done to make football more safe, how is that not a? How are there no rules that are like you can't hit a guy when he's upside down six feet in the air? <laughs> right. You That's... you can't throw him from like because the first guy like the hurdle is Alante's choice. Right. Which right? by the way, I hate the hurdle. I wish people would stop hurdling. Like, I mean, it looks pretty cool. It doesn't look cool because I think it looks cool. of all the times that you see stuff like this happen where it looks like the dudes in the running of the Bulls in Madrid just getting flung. <laughs> like, it's so, it's such a dumb, to me, it's such a dumb move. It is not worth. It was It was the second hit to me that's like, how is that How is that not a penalty? Right. It's kind of like when a, a player goes up for a, like a layup or a dunk in basketball. A, like, that's a, that's a flagrant. Like, yeah. that's a hard penalty. And everything they've done to make football safer, they're like, well, if a guy's in the air, he's free game as long as he's got the ball in his hands. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he, he was upside down, got drilled in the back and slammed to his ground. Right. But it reminded me of when my kids fall off something and they, <laughs> yeah. like, take a good fall, but they immediately, they know they shouldn't have been climbing that thing, but they were climbing it anyways and they fell. Mm-hmm. And they pop back up and they're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> and like, but the tears are welling up and they're like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because <laughs> I guess as soon as he got off the field, the trainers were like, you're not fine. Yeah. You just, you you just sniffed one. your own butthole. Yeah. <laughs> but hang in there. Like, let's check you out. Oh, man. Well, moving then on to Nebraska's defense. What what were some thoughts that you had uh, as, as the Huskers took on that? Uh, I, I guess they just took on Blake Corum, really. It, yeah, it was the Blake Corum show. Um, they didn't, you know, I guess you can hang your hat on the fact that, like, they didn't, they never gave up the, the big home run yeah. play. That was my big takeaway is they made Michigan. I mean, Michigan still earned 34 points, but they made Michigan earn every single point. They did, but it, it was, it still stinks that like they couldn't, that they were giving up four or five yards, like from the get go. Like usually like, you know, you, you have maybe like a little tug of war that you want to see where it's like, okay, like they rip off like a nice little five, six yard chunk, but then we push them back for a two yard loss. And then, you know, they could maybe go for a couple more and, like that back and forth, and it was never there. Like Nebraska never held the line of scrimmage at at any given point, and so it was just this slow, slow, painful march towards yeah. the towards the end where Michigan's backups were getting those 12, 15 yard runs. But Blake Corm never really ripped one off, and and to me that was impressive, right? Yeah. Every time that he was in, he was having. I mean, he was still getting tackled. The the scrum was being pushed sometimes seven or eight yards, and that's impressive to see. Yeah. Uh, and and you know what? If if the shoe were on the other foot, and that was Nebraska doing that to Michigan, you'd be like, "That's the way I want football." Well, that to be is played. the way that I want it to be played. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't want to be on the no. Wrong absolutely, end of I'm not. It. I'm not being like you should be happy that you at least got to witness. It this. doesn't. Yeah, I, no, 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 no. no. It but, doesn't have to be pretty. But I thought that Nebraska did. They were in the right spot. Some of the tackling was suspect. There was some arm tackling, and there's yeah. no way in hell you're going to bring down Blake Corum with an arm tackle. Right. There were a couple of tackles where I'm like, man, they're just cold and tired, mm-hmm. and there's 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 no getting around it. It's yeah. hard. I imagine it's really hard to want to hit somebody when you're freezing. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like, hit, hit that. Get, yeah. Hit someone who's he's five not, seven. He's little, but like two ten. Yeah, like he's a, a bowling, bowling ball. ball. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, one dude who did have a good game and who who put out the hit stick was Ernest Hausman. Oh, he's I, underlined yeah. on my sheet. Absolutely. Yep. He got his name called a lot. I think he led in tackles. He had a sack, a tackle for a loss on the game. Real nice. The, the way he played that sack on uh, McCarthy was a real, I mean, he stayed in that flat, and then when he did, made the decision to go, he mm-hmm. accelerated downhill. I mean, it was two different speeds. Yes. Yeah, and he had a lot of preseason hype and then kind of, you know, disappeared behind. Because there's, you know, we have the inside linebacker spot pretty well covered until yeah. until Henrich uh, had the injury. So um, to see him de- develop, there's yeah. that word, right? Develop over the course of his, of his freshman year um, and come out and show out in a, in a game against a real quality opponent, um, you know, on a night where everything was just this sort of cold, methodical beatdown, um, that is a huge plus, can I make a point to say that Ernest Hausman was a local guy from Hastings, yep. three stars, yeah. and is a true freshman. Yes. So let's talk. I mean, when you're looking at the recruiting comment that was being made, it's like you you don't necessarily need a five star in every position or a four star in every position. You need a three star who's got a motor, who's willing to do the work. And and you see guys like that who, you know, you you rewind maybe two or three games, and he's getting reps. And he's a little more suspect. He's not quite right. sure where he's supposed to go, but he continues to improve and learn. And you think if he's in that starting spot from the get-go, man, he might have another sack in the game. He might have a pass breakup. He might have an interception. Just those reps are, are really huge on developing the right guys and getting those right guys in those right spots. I, I thought he had an excellent game. He did. He's got a he's got a bright future. Like he's a cornerstone linebacker. He's a guy you can you can build your team around or your defense around. Um, he was also one of the few guys who made a solo tackle of Blake Corm where he drove him backwards. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Rewatching the game this morning, there were a couple of hits that he had where he like, he's like, no, you're not, you're not <laughs> yeah. going to fall forward on me. And, right. and that was real nice to see when he got clean hits on him, filling that gap. Yeah. He just drove him straight backwards. Yeah. Um, which not every player could say that. I mean, even on guys like Luke Reimer and Caleb Tanner, they were getting, it was just hold on until, yeah. you know, until the cavalry comes yeah. and, and helps bring him down. So um, I also thought Hartzog had another nice, Nice, solid game. Uh, I like the way that he plays in the secondary. He's aggressive. But I also, there's there's things after the play that I like to see from guys. And he plays the game as though he needs to be perfect every down. And I know that a lot of coaches will coach opposite of that. Like, hey, you know what? Live to fight another down. Do what you got to do to get to the next down. And, and we'll get him from there. But there's something about the attitude of being on a team that's not succeeding. Being on a defense that's getting chewed upon and, and, and really just being worked over. And then when it comes your time to shine, like you might get the tackle, but you didn't make the play exactly how you wanted to and being frustrated to the point where you're like, I'm going to be better the next rep. I'm going to be better the next one. And to not give up that fight and to be a guy who, um, you know, is coming off as, again, another freshman, young guy, yeah. uh, really making his way. Like, that's nice to see. Those are the guys where you're like, man, these guys are going to develop and we hope they stick around because they've clearly got the right kind of fight in them. They've got the right motor. I thought they had both great games. Yeah, I agree. Hardzog was good. And when I was thinking about his game, I was also thinking about Quentin Newsom and how we just haven't heard his name called or haven't talked about him. And I didn't I don't know if that's are people just not throwing on him? Is that what's going on? It's just because we're running running up against all these teams that are just running the ball all the I time. Think that's a big part of it is yeah. that we're we're not facing these massive attacks. It feels like Hartzog and Buford are the two guys that are in on a lot of... Like, they're trying to pick on the young guys yeah. when they take their shots. Because they do end up in a lot of one-on-one situations. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think Hartzog is, is succeeding, and I think Buford's having a little bit of struggles on, on those fronts uh, so far this season. But hopefully he continues to develop and, and go from there. He's got the speed to stay with guys. I think his is more just a, a mental yeah. thing than it is the, the actual physical ability. What do you think about special teams? 
I got a big note about special teams. Okay, I got two. I just got two little ones. Then okay, um, well, you want me to just, you, you, I'll you, pop you, mine you, off, and then yeah. you can okay, just pop off them little ones. <laughs> uh, first, I want to say thanks to Timmy Bleakroad for preserving a near thirty year streak of not getting shut out. Yeah, that was cool of him. Um, and then Michigan's return game, the entire game, like they were taking taking returns, and I was just waiting for the breakdown. That it last one. It got didn't, a yeah, it got dicey. It was like a dam waiting to burst. I can't tell you the last time that I saw a college football team take a return from it, from in the end zone. It just you just don't see it very often. Yeah, and they were they were like, no, nah, you not do not go to sleep because we are gonna yeah we're gonna try. Yeah, all the rules are set up to discourage returns from the end zone now, and yeah. So yeah. anyway, that was but that was it. So you know, obviously we didn't give up a huge huge bust there. So that I, was nice because they were trying. I think a year ago we do. Yeah, I think with the special teams a year ago. In that not getting the focus that it got, I mean, that is a night and day turnaround. I think special teams have been damn near perfect on this season. We've had punt blocks when we haven't had those in the past. Uh, I believe we had a field goal block. We've had some decent return. The only thing we're really missing is a touchdown return from either a punt or a kickoff. Yeah. And you can see them looking for their opportunities. Tommy Hill is licking his chops for that opportunity on the kickoff. Um, we're putting guys back like Palmer and Martin who are shorthanded to, excuse me, to pop those off. Um, but my big note was about Bashini. And Brian Bashini had a really strong game. And when Nebraska's offense was struggling, he was able to flip the field every time. There wasn't a situation I felt where Michigan had the ball in a favorable spot. They still had a lot of work to do. And Michigan didn't have any real short drives. All their drives were eating up clock. And that's because they had a lot of field to cover. Yeah. And even when Nebraska was backed up well within their own territory, Bashini was putting the ball out there and the punt coverage was really strong. So that's my big note on special teams. You'll forgive me, uh, hopefully, for not knowing who number 55 is on special teams, but there was a late punt where he's a, he's a big boy, and he was running downhill, and he was in Michigan's face, and he was just hoping they didn't call for a fair catch because it would have been a sicko's community highlight. I mean, he would have just <laughs> blown the dude up. There was a late coverage tackle by Morton. I don't, I don't know. He's a backup guy. Um, he, laid, he laid a Michigan guy out on a late return and the, you know, the camera and the, the audio picks him up cheering. And that's, I mean, the game's over, right? Yeah. Like it was already settled. Um, but that's a, that's another like, yeah. Special teams is, is a, is the uh, proving ground for a lot of these guys. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the scoreboard says to them. Like they're just out there to make plays, whatever that play might be. So it was nice to see, you know, I, and just in general, I guess like it's not nice to see your backups get in, Game reps in a blowout when you're on the wrong end, but yeah, we got some we got some experience for some guys. And and man, if special teams hasn't been a liability the past how many years? Like we're not making mistakes, and then you look at there weren't I don't believe there were any turnovers in this game either. None by by either side. And and, yeah. and you know when's the last time that Nebraska goes up against the number three team in the country and doesn't turn the ball over? You know, so there's there's little with, st- with technically a third string quarterback, right? Yeah, there's so. there's a lot of stuff going on. That you're you're seeing improvement, even though I mean you got to look for it. You really got to dig for the silver lining. <laughs> but those yeah. are those are things that hurt us in the past, and now it's now you're finally like able to really see what the issues are that are plaguing the program, and and hopefully those things can be fixed moving forward. Any other overall thoughts? I've got I've got one complaint from the game, and it has to do with the announcing. Oh God, yeah, I'm I'm surprised it took us this long to even get to this. Yeah, so. Robert Griffin III (laughs) 
is not a guy I want on any future ever, calls for ever. any reason whatsoever. Oh you make one appearance on HGTV's Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanne Gaines, and you think you belong on TV. Man, he is suited for calling football games like his knees were suited for playing in the NFL. He just is not a guy that I want to hear. Oh, man. because It's like someone gave him a thesaurus of everything that Joe Buck says in excitement or Gus Johnson says, but it was ran through Google Translate and then pitched <laughs> back to him. It's just, he's he's so excitable, but in the, in the wrong, I just did not like his call. I hated it. I couldn't stand it. He said so many dumb things. He contradicted himself. He didn't know that Nebraska and Michigan split the 97 championship. Like, yeah, I... It, 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 yeah, it was obnoxious, to say the least. I, I just, oh, my goodness. And, and then the final comment that really bothered me, and, and this, wasn't, this wasn't anything like one of those. He just said, I know the way Michigan won wasn't sexy, but they got it done. And I thought, that is wrong. If you don't think that what they did completely controlled the game from the first second to the very last is a sexy way to play football... It's not a high-flying offense that maybe he ran at Baylor, but this is sexy football in the Big Ten. Yeah, like this, and this is something where I think they've got a legitimate shot to spoil an SEC team in the in the in the They're playoff. Like a Midwest nine, New York six. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I I said before the season uh, on uh, other podcasts that we guested on and on on our podcast, I think that this Michigan team is the real deal. I thought from what they were last year to this year, they were going to get better. And I thought that they were going to upset, and and I don't even think it's going to be an upset at this point, but they're going to beat Ohio State uh, for a second season. And I think that when they left the college football playoff last year after losing in the first round, they said, we're going to be back. They meant it. And I think that, that this is just a really, really damn good team. Yeah. Um, and for Robert Griffin III to be like, that's that's not sexy. It's like, man, how would you know what good football is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, well, that's the Michigan game. It's over. It's done with. And uh, we were the rightful champs in 97. So who gives a shit? <laughs> All right, before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry has a $600 million impact in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small businesses, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. And you know, Drew, another way to support the NCBG is to drink local beer which we are continuing to do on this episode. You've got a second beer for us to enjoy today from Corn Coast Brewing Company. This is another banger. Man, yeah. these guys just don't They're miss. They're knocking it out of the park. Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. I just I want to go to the tap room 
and just bother them so much. <laughs> so tell us about this beer that we are drinking at the moment. All right. We're going to pause because I had it and now I lost it. Pause for station identification. <laughs> You're listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, brought to you by Herdat Sports. Keep going. What else you got? Keep going. Okay. All right, there it is. All right. <laughs> I should have come more prepared, honestly. All right. So here oh, we go. Oh, man. So, I'm no, never prepared when I... Never mind. <laughs> the beer we're drinking... <laughs> The beer we are drinking is called Devil Dog Golden Ale. It's a Belgian blonde, clocking in at 5.3% ABV. Uh, on their website, this is a this is a neat note on their menu. Um, our other beer, all, all the other beers really just come with like a quick hitting. God damn it, I just lost it again. All their other beers have just like little quick hitter information on this, but this actually yeah. has a little story behind it. Um, so this blonde, it's it's originally a homebrew recipe of Will's dad, the late Colonel David L. Walter, USMC. Devil Dog Golden Ale commemorates the birthday of the United States Marine Corps. The name Devil Dog was given to the Marines by German forces at the Battle of Ballou Wood during World War I for their fierce fighting. Not only for the few and the proud, but possibly enjoyed best on or around November 10th, we brewed this recipe to the exact details of the homebrew version, version, <laughs> the homebrew version, I mucked that up, which uses a classic Belgian yeast for a characterful and balanced session beer. Happy birthday, Marines. You know what's awesome, too? You said this is perfect to be drank on the 10th. Yeah. Do you know what date this was canned? I'm assuming that day. Yeah. 1110. Yeah. Perfect. A beautiful option for Veterans Day and, and continues that trend of just us being grateful for the military and thanking them for their service and everything that they've done uh, for us to be able to enjoy all the vices and the beautiful things that we enjoy and that we get to talk about on this podcast. But this beer is a beautiful salute to that, man. Yeah. It's crisp. It's sweet. It's slightly fruity. It's everything a Belgian, I think, should be, right? It's a little bit hay on the nose. It's a mm -hmm. little bit of that, belt, but it doesn't drink like it at all. The malt, the yeast, all of it just plays so well together. Belgians are an, uh, a beer that I like kind of in the same way that you like the pale ale. It's one where you don't see them a ton, but when they're done right and you find one, you just love it. Peace Tree has one. They're, yep. they're Femme Fatale femme or they're Blonde Fatale. Good. Yeah. That's but that's a hard, that's a heavy ABV. Usually, like Belgians, yeah. right? You got like the single, double, triple. Um, again, this is they they lean more towards the sessions, and that allows you to like really enjoy the beer because you're not worried about just getting a little loopy. It also, know? I think, brings those flavors to the forefront more. You're not fighting mm -hmm. any of the heat from the alcohol, uh, you know. And and the difference between five percent and seven percent is a pretty substantial, substantial jump. Yeah. Uh, but man, just these guys know what they are doing. I know. I'm, I'm legit blown away by this. And again, regretting not going to Corn Coast. It was one of those things. It's like, oh man, Corn Coast is opening up Lincoln. Got to put on the list. And then, um, you know, just never made it around until now. Um, very impressive. I, I can't wait to go back out there. Yeah. Um, Lincoln is so lucky. They have so many incredible breweries. Oh and the my fact gosh. that they just like keep tacking on more great ones. I mean, Omaha is good and um, Nebraska as a state is very fortunate yeah. for, for all the breweries we have in, in all the um, small towns throughout the state. But mm -hmm. yeah, the city centers have just, in, just I don't know, they've outdone themselves and they continue to blow me away. You know what we might need to do is we might almost need to do an Omaha versus Lincoln bracket when it comes to breweries and, and like crown a... I mean, Ooh, that would crown be. a city, right? Like, yeah. who is the real champ? Because there are there are heavy hitters on on both fronts. I know that I've got personal favorites that reside that that reside in both. And mm -hmm. Corn Coast really jumped up a list after having tried them now it for the first did. time. So, yeah. 
That's that. a that's a really fun idea to think about. Lincoln versus Omaha, like a little yeah. brew fest. And then the champion gets to come on our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm so-and-so with so-and-so brewing. Uh, what am I doing here? <laughs> well, we crowned you the best beer in Nebraska. Yeah, who are you guys? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Oh, man. Well, we get to continue enjoying this beer. We encourage you guys to check out Corn Coast. Again, as we talked about in their profile, they're not focused on distribution. They're focused on being the neighborhood brewer. Mm-hmm. And if this guy were in my neighborhood, I'd pay my HOA dues. You know? <laughs> that was that was Robert Griffin the third inspired terrible commentary. <laughs> what was the what was the hey hey JJ whatever? Oh, when he ran in for the touchdown. Oh my god. God. Yeah, when when J.J. McCarthy scrambled in for... No, he didn't scramble. It was a design quarterback run. He ran in for a touchdown. Hey, hey, J.J., what do you say, say? <laughs> that was a nice play, play. The Of all the commentators that I never want to hear about, hear, hear speak on a guy taking a helmet between the legs, Robert Griffin is now at the top. I didn't know there was a list. You know what? We're supposed to be moving in. It. Let's talk... Speaking of helmets, uh-huh. how did Michigan's punter... Who is some sort of oh. circus strong man? How did <laughs> so old timey, bald, mustachioed, <laughs> melodrama villain of a man? How did he not get a penalty for taking off his helmet after he got Caleb, Caleb Tanner like barely rolled into his plant leg? Yeah, yeah. And they declined the penalty, and it wasn't a big deal or anything like that. But man, he lost his shit. You would have thought his someone stole his leopard print leotard that he <laughs> <laughs> that he uses. When lifting, <laughs> lifting a dumbbell over his head that weighs a thousand pounds. Yeah, that should have been a, yeah, that was a very obvious penalty that they missed. But the game was still close, and so the refs were keeping it in the pocket, you know, just to help Michigan out and preserve the big game. Yeah, I don't complain about refs a whole lot. And my wife had to hear this whole diatribe about <laughs> how I finally believe it. The refs are out to screw us. He didn't get a penalty for that helmet coming off, and they didn't show the review and replay of the football out of the back of the Ooh, end zone. That was a, yeah. That bothered me where I was like, why aren't we seeing this? And is it because they don't have a good angle? And is it because the back judge was not where he was supposed to be on that call? Uh, there's, there's a lot of like at the end of that play, the back judge comes running in from like the 30, like, God, I'm so cold. <laughs> and, and he's like, I don't know what the thing is. And I'm waiting for a touchback. It was a touchback. They, you, was, yeah. You, yeah, there's angles out there and, and uh, still frames. Yeah. It was clearly a touchback. And it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the game by any it means. It would have if you but lived in Las Vegas. It, <laughs> yeah, if you had money on this thing. I didn't. Did you? No, absolutely not. No. No. Are no. you I wanna I wanna do that someday. I wanna I wanna go and watch a game at a sports book and like actually bet on it, but I'm also like too scared. Yeah. I have enough sadness <laughs> watching sports. Already, I don't need to lose money on this. Well, then let's turn that smile into, or no, a frown into a smile. <laughs> let's turn that smile into a frown. Let's turn that frown into a smile and get rid of that sadness. And let's talk about Nebraska versus Wisconsin. There's not another W team in the Big Ten that I can confuse these guys for, uh, like I have been with Minnesota and Michigan all day today. But I'll hit you with just the facts on this upcoming game, and then we'll dive into talking about uh, offense, defense, special teams. All right. On November 19, 2022, the Wisconsin Badgers travel to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers. Kickoff is scheduled for 11 a.m. and will be broadcast on ESPN. Wisconsin is led by interim head coach Jim Leonhard, who is 3-2 through five games at the helm. Nebraska is led by Mickey Joseph, who sits at 2-5 through seven games, also holding the title as interim head coach. Nebraska and Wisconsin have met a total of 15 times with Saturday marking the 16th matchup. 
Wisconsin holds a sizable advantage of 11 games to four. Vegas likes the Badgers in this one with the spread opening up at 12 and a half in favor of Wisconsin. Drew, does that line jump out at you? Does that feel fair? Are you surprised by it at all? No, I think that's a fair line. Yeah. yeah two score, two touchdown spread. Yeah. If It feels within reach, though. I mean, a two touchdown spread at home, you never know which Wisconsin you're going to get. If they're going to be the Wisconsin before they played Iowa or the Wisconsin when they played Iowa, who are we going to see? Uh, I mean, this this could be an interesting game. And, yeah. and Nebraska has always been close with Wisconsin as far as that specific game. Um, so it could it could go the Huskers' way. You never know. You never know who's got more fight in them with interim head coaches and all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, I think that's baked into it. Um, I think with Wisconsin playing for bowl eligibility, they've got a little bit on the line. They're on the road. There might be, you know, they do have an interim coach who you would expect to be their full-time coach moving forward, but... If I'm surprised they haven't just announced that. Like, it feels like it's, he's he's got that pretty much in the bag, and they can start moving on. I thought that, yeah, as soon as they fired Chris, like that was in the bag. But, um, but yeah, they haven't they haven't given him the official title yet. So I don't know. Maybe they're working out contract negotiations behind coming, the, He's yeah, coming yeah, to he's, Nebraska. He didn't. So I found this out. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be oh my god. We um, have a good defense. Yeah, I tell you that. Uh, he he was a walk on at Wisconsin, and he did not. He was a a two or three time Big Ten, all Big Ten selection before he got a scholarship. That is nuts. Like Wisconsin withheld on him. And so I feel like this is his opportunity to, you know, maybe collect a little bit of that coin back. So maybe he's holding out. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, I think that's, a, that's all said, that's the right, the right spread. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to get out of Wisconsin. They blew it against Michigan State. They, um, you know, they failed against Iowa because Two of the three phases failed them yeah. in that game, um, but at the same time, they could come out and steamroll us. You know, like yeah. Nebraska could just completely check out. We just don't know. So I don't think they will. I don't think that this team. No, I don't think they will. Um, it's it's just it's on the table. I, you know, it's always on the table. And I think if you're a bookmaker for Vegas, you yeah. got to be aware of that. So yeah, you. I mean. It could happen at any point, and it doesn't have to happen at the start of the game. It can always happen at the third quarter or the fourth quarter when the defense is just burnt because the offense hasn't been able to move the ball. Yeah, you know, we've we've seen that, and so I, I can definitely see how Vegas would would feel that way. Um, Wisconsin's offense. Let's let's dive right in. Um, should we just replay the last three episodes that we've had where it's, <laughs> they the run the ball? Same damn team! <laughs> My God! It's almost like the Big Ten West is trying to tell us something. Hey, you want to be successful? <laughs> you want us to adjust to you? <laughs> um, yeah, they 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 rely on Braylon Allen, yeah. a star running back. Um, they have a quarterback who their entire fan base hates. They who's having honestly the best season of his career. That's not saying much. It's but not. He, but he's, you yeah. know, and, and not take my stats don't take yesterday's game into effect. He obviously had a pick six yesterday that that helped yeah and and on ugly ugly throw yeah but wisconsin's offense when i was diving into the numbers is surprisingly balanced in their scoring approach so they've actually had the same number of rushing and passing touchdowns throughout the season this year um and of those how many how many of 18 passing touchdowns that wisconsin had how many of those do you think went to tight ends a lot of them. Two of them. What? Only two touchdowns have been thrown to tight ends. Wow. So Wisconsin's okay. really actually doing a pretty damn good job of distributing the ball in the red zone 
two wide receivers, which just feels so like unexpected for Wisconsin. And it's yeah. like, is this because we've got a new guy at the helm and we're like, we're just going to try some things? Or is this because Graham Mertz is finding the guys he needs to find or, or whatever it happens to be? But I was actually surprised looking at those numbers to see that Wisconsin's doing a little bit of a better job distributing the ball. And their passing game has started to improve a little bit better where Graham Mertz is not making some of the same mistakes he's made early on in his career. Outside of outside of again like it's most recent yeah but uh you know it's happened that yeah um no wisconsin's big bugaboo in terms of like the games they've lost is is all to do with turnovers yeah um they've got two turnovers combined in their five wins this year in their five losses they have 12 yeah and so they are very much a jekyll and hyde type type of offense um and it's not against, it's it's not against it's not like they're just bad against the good teams and good against the bad teams. Like Michigan State is way down this year. Yeah. Um and they had a they had a nice seven point lead on them in the second half of that game and ended up blowing it um after overtime. So um I don't know. I I think the the key for Nebraska's defense is to it's as again, it's stop Braylon Allen. Don't let him beat you. Um, and, and put the game in, in the hands of Graham Mertz. One of the interesting things that we've seen the past few weeks is it's almost like these teams who are known for running the ball are like, you know what, we're going to try and throw the ball a little bit more than Nebraska would expect us to throw. I thought Michigan came out throwing the ball early. Illinois started throwing the ball early. Minnesota was throwing the ball uh, in the second half to try and open the game up. And I'm, I'm curious with a team like Wisconsin who's having a little bit more success through the air and has a Braylon Allen in their pocket, if they will try and throw a little bit more against Nebraska and if that plays actually into Nebraska's hands because I think that Nebraska's got DBs that are aggressive enough and Graham Mertz makes mistakes enough that if you can get some pressure on him with guys like Feast or Wynn or Nelson or Tanner um, or even bringing in like a, a safety blitz or something like that, if you can get him into situations where you can make mistakes – I like the aggression that our secondary plays with to take advantage of those offensive mistakes that, that Wisconsin's prone to making. Yeah, and I think that's going to come down to um, whether or not like our safeties can be disciplined. If they get if they get sucked in on play action or like on the run, if they're really drawn towards the running back and they got their eyes in the backfield, that's where I think we can get hurt. Yeah, certainly. well, we, so. we saw Michigan score a touchdown on that. The second touchdown of the game was because our, our guys weren't sound. They were yeah. being sucked in with that play action and had a wide-open receiver for Michigan in the back corner of the end zone. Yeah, and, and they struggled with the play action against Minnesota when when uh, in the second half when they lost their starting quarterback. So um, it's definitely something they'll be susceptible to. Uh, Farmer should be back this game. I think he was just a one-game suspension he was serving. Was it? I haven't seen anything on that one way or the other, but I'm sure that we'll know a little bit more. It'd be nice to have him back. But I also, you know, I think let's pause for a second. Knowing that we're a a beer podcast and knowing what we bring to the table as as far as talking about drinking beer, talking football, that sort of thing. um, I think it's important to note that we do this responsibly and and that we do this to where we're not overindulging, where uh, we know our limits and our limitations and we're being smart as we do this. Um, it's not one of those things where what Miles Farmer did is a is a slap on the wrist sort of thing and you move on. Right. Like he put lives at risk, both his own and anyone else who was on the road that did that. And I really appreciate the way that Mickey handled that situation uh, where he said like he made a mistake, but mistakes have consequences and he's going to, you know, he's going to have to face those consequences. And I thought that, that was handled well. And I don't think that drinking and driving is something to take lightly. I don't think doing that. Um, you know, when you're buzzed or when you're over the legal limit is something to take lightly. So I really appreciate the way that the coaching staff handled this. 
And whether he's back or not, I feel like whatever the coaches deem is the necessary uh, punishment for that. Uh, once he serves that out, I'm looking forward to having him back on the field. Also knowing that he's a young man, young men make mistakes. The opportunity to learn and grow from that is really important. So that's just yeah. a little side tangent. That's well stated. I was, yeah, I was honestly, I was about to gloss right over it. So I'm glad you actually stopped it, put the brakes on there and, and, and said all that. Cause that's true. It is, um, we do, we like to indulge. We like to, um, do that, but again, you want to be smart about it. And there's also a reason if any of our listeners are curious why we don't have current players on is because we are mindful of that as well, that we are a podcast that talks about beer and, and we know that the, that name image and likeness is important for those players to have. And we don't want to bring those in and, and like side, you know, sideswipe a guy and be like, Oh, we're also a beer podcast. You're going to be promoting a beer or something like that. Yeah. It's not something that we want to be doing. And um, so that's why we haven't had current players on. We've, we've, been in communication with a few we've we've said hi to a few we've talked to a few we've been in situations where we could have invited them on uh, but we didn't just because again like we understand that we are adults that are not within that realm right now and so we can have this kind of fun and this joy and I don't mean to put a tower or a, you know a sad note or something like that on there but I just thought it's interesting like we're mindful of that when it comes comes to this and it's not just like let's just drink a shit ton and, and talk <laughs> football you know yeah. like we're, we're supporting these small businesses, but we don't want to put those players in the situations where they're compromised in, in any way, shape or form as well. Yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah, that's it. And that's honestly, it's probably a good conversation to have with corn with the corn coast being on here when they're, you know, uh, they're focused on the session ales and just and, and enjoying something without over enjoying. Right. Um, so anyway, cool. Uh, back to football. Yeah. And so the secondary might. How was that lecture, everyone? <laughs> Do you feel like shit now? If everybody wants to get out your Bibles, we're yeah. going to go ahead. And, uh, Let me just climb off my high horse and come back down to the sludge. Oh, man. But anyway, so our, hopefully our secondary is is um, either back intact or like, or now that they have some experience, you know, shuffling guides around, yeah. that they'll, they'll be able to uh, buckle who, things down. who doesn't want to see a huge play from Phelan Sanford? Like who yeah. doesn't want to see him and like, yeah. cause I want to see what happens when he gets a pick six and what his celebration looks like in the end zone. Like, I feel like it's going to be like the kid from mighty ducks Two, Who's the cowboy kid who like ropes people <laughs> yes. and like is the yeehaw guy who does all the trick shots and stuff. He's the stick handler, man. That's what yeah. I imagine Phelan Sanford would do is like he'd lasso the team together. <laughs> not to pigeonhole him into this stereotype, but no, it's, yeah. it's 100% not about that. And 100% about, um, I just like D2 mighty ducks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm is, all about yeah. the knuckle puck. The knuckle puck. Yeah. Oh man. That's literally the only thing I remember from D2. I've watched it far too recently. <laughs> um, and if you were to go and like buy it on iTunes, it's like $17. And to rent it, it's still like what? $6 to rent on iTunes and stuff like that, which I happily paid to rewatch it one day where I was like, I think I think to, this is the time for D2 Mighty Ducks. Yeah. You're yeah. in that place in your life. <laughs> yeah. You know, D2 Mighty D2. Ducks D2. isn't a place. It's a mindset. <laughs> <laughs> the Junior National Goodwill Games. I mean, like, it, it's it's a beautiful setup. You know, you've got Gordon Bombay on this redemption tour. And then he comes back and he's just totally encompassed by the corporate capitalism of this sport. And, it, you know, it actually deals a lot with NIL. <laughs> and on our new podcast, D2 Mighty Ducks, a retrospective. <laughs> this oh, is the highs Lord. and lows that we can bring to the table. If we were, what, seven and three right now, we probably wouldn't be having a different conversation, right? <laughs> I like to think that, that we wouldn't go off on these tangents. I think, I think it would be remiss if I did not mention that the Mighty Ducks actually, <laughs> no, the original movie, yeah. the, the, um, the change point in the first act is that Gordon Bombay gets a DUI 
and is forced to this coach a hockey team. Yeah. And has, goes on that. Service. Yeah. It's yeah. community service. And he goes on this redemption streak and he, he also, you know, makes a mistake and has to grow from that and learn from that experience. So true. completely weird tangent, but that's the kind you'll expect on <laughs> Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast. We're going to talk about that after a recording because I have an interesting, I have an interesting take, but this has gone on way too long. Okay. So okay. Wisconsin's defense. <laughs> okay. Wisconsin defense starts and ends with Nick Herbig. Yeah. Right? Good, good, good outside linebacker. Yeah. He's insane. He got he has 15 and a half tackles for loss, which is almost a quarter of the total for that entire defense. Yep. Uh, he's got 11 sacks on the season, which is almost half of their total. Uh, and he's only played in 9 of 10 games. So he's missed a game, and he's still accounting for an insane amount of production. Um, heart and soul, that type of guy. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can – I don't know if you game plan – you know, to take him out of out of it. I don't think you can. Yeah, so you say whatever side he lines up on, go the other way. Go the other That's direction. That's pretty much it. Yeah. But then you also got to look out for their safeties. Their safeties, I think, are also really strong. Uh, they're incredibly physical. And Young Meta leads the team in tackles. He's got four tackles for loss on top of that and a sack on the season. So they're not afraid to let guys crash down. They really trust their secondary. And they've got, I mean, Wisconsin's known for just having linebackers, period, right? It, it doesn't matter who they are. They're going to be some dude who was a walk-on, just like their defensive coordinator, who just goes on to be all-team Big Ten. But even their safeties, you know, they can trust in their secondary, and these guys crash down, and they're not afraid to mix that up. Their linebackers are, are physical enough and athletic enough to drop back into coverage and take that place. So they're not afraid to try and disguise some of their blitz packages and catch you by surprise and keep you behind the sticks. I mean, that's that's Wisconsin football right there, right? Get ahead of the sticks on offense, get teams behind on defense, and and they just are going to beat that drum, game over game, and they're they're willing to live and die by that. Yeah, yeah. I think their biggest question mark going into the season was at the at the corner position, and I think they've done fine enough that they can allow that. Yeah, their their star players in the middle of the field to really showcase their talents, um, and not just in the secondary linebacker, but Keanu Benton. Um, at the nose tackle position is really short up things on the front line where that whole entire front seven as a unit is just absolutely insane. I think the one thing that really scares me, not the one thing, but uh, one of the things that <laughs> really scares me. I wish there was me, only one. Yeah. One of the, the, the things that scares me about Leonard possibly taking over is, can you imagine a head coach like him who is is running a full team, how focused that team is going to be defensively? And, you know, you look at them maybe going into next season with him at the helm, this might be getting back to, you know, not a not a top 25 defense, but a top five defense or a top 10 defense that keeps climbing their way up. And that's always going to be a focus of theirs. It's it's the same philosophy that I was putting on display right now where it's like we're going to win. But Wisconsin tends to have more success offensively as well. You know, they're not afraid to air the ball out as much. And, and they've got decent enough tight ends and wide receivers and, and decent enough quarterbacks to make their offense click. So when you combine those two sides, I think Jim Leonhardt would be a great option for them for a head coach. And uh, you never know when he's going to start to surge on that front uh, this season. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, I mean, they're in the same boat as Nebraska, right? They're just bumping up, up against some really great defenses. Yeah. Um, and their offense is, it's struggling because, because I think primarily of the quarterback play and because their offensive line was and has been a little inconsistent this year. Uh, especially by their standards, and so like they do have, <clears throat> excuse me, they do have Braylon Allen there at running back, and he's done a he's done a great job. But uh, 
they've still had those games like against Illinois. I think he only had like two rushing yards or something like where they've just been completely shut down or where Graham Mertz just makes too many mistakes and it and it ends up costing them the game. And so um yeah, they're gonna lean they're gonna lean on their defense. They'll do the same thing against Nebraska. Um Nebraska's gonna have to I don't know, hope hope that the wrong Wisconsin offense shows up and gives them an opportunity. Um this is statistically the easiest or like the worst yep. defense that yep. we're going to face um, in our last five games. Yeah. It's the worst defense since Purdue, which is saying something because they're still a top 25 defense. Absolutely. You know, when I was looking at the numbers for Wisconsin's defense, they give up the most points against this run of tough defenses that we've been playing against. They actually let offenses score a touchdown every 11 minutes of possession. And Nebraska's held the ball these past few games around the 20 to 25 minute mark. So if Nebraska can keep Wisconsin and, you know, keep them from scoring and then start trudging down the field, Wisconsin is prone to giving up points. They're not immune to it. Um, they, they, like I said, they give up a touchdown about every 11 minutes that that offense is on the field. That's what it's averaged out to. So in Nebraska's possession, if, if they can really have a strong defensive showing Nebraska can, I think that we can put up points against this Wisconsin team, especially if we have a guy like Casey Thompson back at quarterback who is more prone to running this offense and who gives us that, I'm not sure what they're going to do factor, right? Are they going to air it out? Are they going to run? Are they going to run any sort of option, which Casey's shown that he can also run as well. So uh, I, I think this is an interesting matchup. And that 12 and a half points, I think, is Vegas protecting themselves. I wouldn't be surprised if that got as close to maybe 10 uh, by kickoff. If, if there's still a little bit of like, what's Nebraska got left in the tank? And some people are going Nebraska, some are going Wisconsin. I could also see it growing. I, would, I, I, I don't want to discount Wisconsin by any means, but... I think this is a really interesting game as far as where these two teams are, where the season is at this point, where we're you know two games away from the season coming to an end for Nebraska. Like, what's left on the line, and who's going to really turn up and show up and, and put their hearts out on the field? Yeah, I think. I mean, as far as the line goes, I think it. I think it would grow, um, maybe a little bit. I don't think it's going to move a ton, but I think it ultimately comes down to who's at quarterback, whether Casey comes back or not, because. The offense has been anemic since he since he left, um, and even when he was around, they were they were capable of doing some things, but it was wildly inconsistent. Yeah, um, and that was against the weaker defenses that they were facing in the year. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Again, it's it's this is our best shot at a win, um, our best shot at a at a decent offensive performance. I think that we need to have a. A similar game, not necessarily game plan, but similar game to what Iowa experienced, where they were getting the ball with with short field. Yeah. Um, Nebraska's offense needs as many favors as it can get right now, and the defense is going to be responsible for for providing those. What I'd like to see then on that front, as we move into special teams, is Nebraska be aggressive when it comes to trying to make a turnover or make something happen against Wisconsin, because. When, Nebraska, when Wisconsin is able to get off clean punts, punting is a part of their defense, right? Uh, they've had great success slipping the field. They've had a lot of punts that land inside the 20. Um, Bujonich, Andy Bujonich, has had 13 kicks over 50 yards, and 15 of those land inside the 20. Like, this guy's got a good leg. Wisconsin's always been smart with their special teams, just like a lot of these teams in the Big Ten West. There's a focus on it, and, and they really use that to their advantage to flip the field and give a long, long way to go for the opposing offense. So I think that part of their defense is almost talking about that punting game. And if Nebraska can be aggressive, maybe get a block punt or um, maybe get a solid return in that we've been trying to break all year, you know, that's how we flip the field and, and we're able to take advantage of this defense who is coming off of a really, you know, 
rough performance and not because of anything they did, but because of the situation their offense put them in. Yeah. Um, I will say this regarding their special teams. How many coordinators do they have? How many special teams coordinators? I'm going to guess seven (laughs) or none. (laughs) Right there on the zero. Yeah. As many coordinators as they have baseball programs up in Wisconsin. Nada. Isn't that weird? And so, <laughs> that's a weird, I will never get over that. You know, that. In, in D3, the Mighty Duck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't have a special teams coordinator. And so, when they come off of a game like this against Iowa, where they have, you know, multiple breakdowns in, in different aspects of uh, their special teams units, it's like, they don't have that, that, that person who can kind of bring them back to whatever... Um, so they, I'm sure they'll focus on on shoring things up, but it is one of those things where it's like, okay, this is an opportunity where Nebraska can kind of hammer away on, uh, you know, here's here's where we can we can kind of tip the scales in our favor in this game, and that's on special teams because Nebraska has shown that they can block kicks. Yeah, um, they've got guys who we believe are capable of of the big return. We we just need to see it. Um, so and this is a game where you're like you're, you you need everything you can get. You yeah. have to have everything you can get. Um, and so to 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 swing the momentum in your favor to um, to balance things back out, it it's I think it has to happen in special teams. The last thing that I have from an X's and O's or a scouting report kind of standpoint is uh, in special teams that Wisconsin is not a great field goal kicking team. I don't know if you saw that in, in your notes or anything like that, but beyond the thirty yard line, uh, Wisconsin is three and seven on kicking field goals. And I think that that might play into Nebraska's advantage as well, because you see that the way this defense is playing, that they're one of those, you know, we're another bend don't break kind of defense where we're going to let them get yards, let them get yards. And it's almost like, okay, if they get a good pickup on first and 10, let's let them get another first down and let's reset. I, I think if you can get this team to stop around midfield a little bit beyond and into those areas where it might typically be a field goal situation, you might get them in a fourth and four where they go for it, and then you get some decent field position if you get a stop there just because they're not confident in their kicking ability. So that's another way that the special teams can come into play for Nebraska because Bleak Road's been real strong. So I think any chance that on offense you're able to come away with points, it doesn't have to be touchdowns, and you're able to shut down Braylon Allen. Like Those are my big strategies for this game, right? Shut down the run game, come away with points whenever we can, whether they're field goals or touchdowns. And, and try and make a mistake happen. And you do those three things, and I think you've got a fighting chance. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. It's about about where I'm at with this game as well. Cool. Do you got a prediction for this game? I do have a, a prediction. Looks like we both got some, some oh longies. Boy. Yeah, this is short for me. <laughs> okay, not to brag about it. <laughs> hey Okay. You want, I want to, can I go first? You want to go first? Yeah, yeah you, you go don't first. mind? Okay. Uh, what do Palawan, Sunda, and the 2022 Wisconsin Badgers all have in common? They stink. That's because <laughs> Palawan and Sunda Badgers were just recently discovered to be skunks and are now known as Asiatic Stink Badgers or False Badgers, something with which the 22 Wisconsin football team can totally relate. What else do all these False Badgers have in common? They rely exclusively on their defense for survival. Stink badgers have foul-smelling anal secretions. Wisconsin badgers have Nick Herbig. That's not to say Herbig is an anal secretion. I would never say Nick Herbig is an anal secretion, because that would be highly unprofessional and not in the spirit of this podcast. So again, Nick Herbig is an anal secretion. Is not something I would say. What I will say is this. Herbig is going to have Nebraska fans wrinkling their noses a lot on Saturday 
as he establishes residence in the Cornhusker backfield. He'll pick up at least two sacks before the half and force a fumble to stop a promising Nebraska drive. But it won't be all bad. Logan Smothers is mobile and the kid can sling it too. A broken pass play will lead to big run, a big run from the Alabama native and he'll follow that up with a perfectly placed pass to Washington in the back of the end zone. Nebraska and Wisconsin enter the half knotted up at 10. Normally, Wisconsin would turn to star running back Braylon Allen to wear down Nebraska and pull away late, but Leonard is a smart coach who knows his team is being tampered with. He's not about to inflate Allen's free agency stock at the tail end of a wasted season by letting him run roughshod all over an exhausted defense. Instead, Leonard will put the fate of the game in the hands of Graham Cracker Mertz, and with with each passing play, Nebraska will be asking for some more of the lackluster quarterback. That's so bad. It's so bad. Robert Griffin will be rolling right now. Wisconsin settles for three second-half field goals, going up 19-17 to late, but a special teams meltdown leads to a Palmer punt return touchdown, and Nebraska says goodbye to Memorial Stadium for the season with a 24-19 victory. All right. It's about time you came back. There he is. <laughs> I'm back with it. I like Woo! it. I've got hope. Yeah, that's all we need. That's, <laughs> that's all it takes is a little bit of hope. All right. Lay it on me. I would like for my prediction to read a poem from noted Wisconsin poet Herdwain Samuels. Now, this is from a 19 uh, this is from 1953 and it's called Man from Milwaukee. It started at a bus stop in the middle of nowhere. Sitting beside me was a man with no hair. From the look on his face and the side of his toes, he comes from a place that nobody knows. I said, or maybe I'm hallucinating, hyperventilating, letting this big-toed bald man sitting here tell me about the sky. I've been sitting here too long by a man from Milwaukee. He's been talking too long on his yellow walkie-talkie. He's been talking to Mars, but I think he's wacky. He says they'll come get him, come get him someday. He says where he's from is called Albertane but they use more than 10% of the brain, but you couldn't tell it from the way they behave. They run around in underwear and they never shave. This is mother bird calling baby bird, baby bird, come in, come in, baby bird. For the love of Pete, come in. This is baby bird. Sorry, I was watching court TV. Do you copy? Do you copy? Of course we copy. 24 hours a day in color. You wouldn't believe me if I told you the rest. The man sitting by me who was barely dressed flew off to Milwaukee or perhaps Albertane and left me at the bus stop just barely sane. I've been sitting here too long thinking about Milwaukee. I've been talking too long on my yellow walkie-talkie. I'm talking to Mars. You may think I'm wacky. I know they'll come get me, come get me someday. I know they'll come get me and take me away. I know they'll come get me, come get me someday. If not tomorrow, then maybe today. Wait, that isn't a poem. <laughs> There's no poet from Wisconsin named Herdwain Samuels. Those are just the lyrics to the song Man from Milwaukee by everyone's favorite late 90s sibling pop trio, Hanson. Shit, they're not even from <laughs> They're not even from Wisconsin. This this makes no sense. But then again, neither does this. Nebraska 27, Wisconsin 12. <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat waiting for the the reveal, the connection. <laughs> Waiting. In the Disney Channel original series, Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Game changers. No. Oh, man. Look, man, I don't have a prediction for this. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But, you know, what I do know is that Hanson had a song from their second album uh, called Man from Milwaukee. And I thought you all needed to hear it after I had to hear the <laughs> lyrics to it. Amazing. 
I think it's possible. I do think I do think that it's possible to end this season on a two-game win streak uh, come hell or high water uh, just because of the things we talked about at the top of the show, that there's no quit yet in this team, and I think that we might catch a couple of teams off guard. They might think, hey, you know, this Nebraska team has nothing to play for, and they've got nothing to lose, and that makes us dangerous, man. Yeah. Just, I, I just want to wreck a couple of seasons. I would love to knock these two teams out of the West – contention look if i had to choose what last two teams we have on the schedule to knock out a big 10 west contention yeah i'll say it next week but (laughs) it'd sure be nice to get a win over wisconsin too yeah yeah well that does it for this week we want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode if you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen we would truly appreciate your recommendation don't forget to follow us on social media at wannabe walk-ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform if you'd like to call in and leave a message on the wannabe walk wannabe talk ons hotline at 402-427-0258, you just might be featured on the show. Remember to do your part, drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Join us next week as we react to the Wisconsin game, preview Iowa, and sample beer from 505 Brewing in Fremont, Nebraska. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink big red. Drink big red. 